Read with me, starting in verse 10, and I'll read through verse 20. I'm just going to focus on verse 10 this week, by the way. But we'll read this whole paragraph first. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the Gospel of grace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. God's Word from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10-20. through 20. I want to soak in this paragraph, and today I just want to soak in verse 10. Verse 10 says simply this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You and I need to recognize that more than anything else, more than the dangers of the battle, more than the horror of evil that surround us, more than the weakness of our own flesh, more than the instability of the world, more than any particular method of spiritual warfare, we need to realize that our strength, that all the strength we need is found and freely given in the Lord. We find all the strength we need in the Lord. That's what chapter. That's what verse ten teaches us. Some years ago, we were at a uh, a work party at a friend, a work friend uh, who owned a farm. We weren't that far away. Uh, at this farm, the kids were young back then. They were, I think, if I remember right, ages probably like three to ten. Um, and we had a great time at this farm, petting the animals and and so forth. Something we didn't get to do all the time, um, and. Just an important thing to understand, despite what the movies might depict, depict animals um, aren't always that pettable, and even farm animals are not always that friendly and pettable, and, and certainly uh, young goats and all goats are no exception to this. We were, in a, um, we were in a pen, and there were a bunch of goats that were walking around, small goats, relatively small goats, and we were there just kind of petting the goats with the family. And, um, and, and I remember this vividly. I was there and John, our son John, was probably like this tall at the time. Uh, I don't know, five years old or so. And uh, to our horror, all of a sudden, one of these little goats, one of these pint-sized goats, reared up on its legs and right in front of John and put its head down and, and launched itself at John and hit him, boom, right in the chest. Uh, knocked him back a couple of feet, you know, on, on his can, and uh, and he's shocked, and we're all shocked, and and uh, and and we, you know we ran over to him and comforted him, and and uh, 
and you know, we learned a lesson. John certainly learned a lesson. Probably to this day, he hates goats. But, um, <laughs> but he, you know, he, he was okay. He was with us, and we had a good time the rest of the day until a little later on, actually. Uh, what happened is the, the goats got put away, by the way. A little later on, the, the, yeah, did it jump over the fence? The goat got out. And John was about where, where my wife Peg is. And you should have seen how fast John ran behind us. Grabbed a hold of our leg and, and was you know, safe there because this little goat wasn't going to try to do that with us towering over it. Well, why do I tell that story? The reality is that you and I are like John in our story. And the challenges of life, the enemies, our enemies, the devil and his legions, the enemies of the world and the flesh, which by the way form this alliance that always work together. This threefold alliance of our enemies are like the goat. And we're no match. And we need our Heavenly Father. We need a place to run for shelter and strength. And our Heavenly Father is that shelter and strength. We're taught in this passage to be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. He has everything we need to shelter us and to strengthen us against our enemies. And He wants us to find our refuge in Him. That's why Paul starts this paragraph with this profound statement in verse 10. So I want to dig into this verse. I want to talk about it. I want to learn from us. I want to learn from this. I want us to learn from it. And... Find in the Lord all the strength we need in life. So first, my first sub-point is the word finally. We're just going to look at that first word. Finally. Notice that Paul starts this section with that word finally. And then of course notice as we've been going through Ephesians, this paragraph is very different than what we've seen before, right? It's, it's different. It's not doing the same sort of stuff. There's another subject that he's moved on to here. He's talked about... Um, other things in this verse, actually in this letter, for the past two chapters or so, three chapters or so, he's been talking about living in light of the Gospel. It actually, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 is where he starts to talk about this, this subject that we've been on as we've gone through it for qu- quite a while in these uh, almost three chapters. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of of the calling to which you've been called. And what Paul goes on to do from that point in chapter 4 up till just where we were last week is to talk about what it looks like to walk worthy of the Lord. To walk worthy of the calling. To walk worthy of the, the wonderful Gospel of grace. This good news that Christ has shed His blood to pay for our sins. And through faith in Him, the, the gift of faith, by trusting in Him, we are forgiven and we're united with Him. And we're, we're made it to be His church. We're made to enjoy all the blessings that come with Christ's victory. And that's the call. And then with that, with this new life in Christ, we are to live differently. And so all these chapters, all these verses between chapter 4, 1 and 6, verse 9 are about walking worthy. So he talks about walking in humility and love, guarding the unity of the church. Centering on the good news of Christ. Putting off the old way. Putting on the new. Speaking the truth. Working hard instead of stealing. Contributing to the needs of others. Speaking words that are helpful, not hurtful. Forgiving others. Walking in sexual purity. 
Avoiding idolatry. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Submitting to those in authority over us. And serving those under our authority in the the context of marriage, family, and the workplace. Those are the sort of things that Paul's been talking about up till now. Walking worthy. And before that, in the previous chapters, chapters 1-3, through he's talking about the wonderful gift that we have in Christ. All the blessings we have in, in Him. Blessing after blessing is mentioned in those chapters. Chapters, it talks about every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. We're chosen before time. There's redemption through the blood of Christ. There's forgiveness, unlimited grace, an eternal inheritance. The Holy Spirit seals us. We have an overcoming hope. We have eternal riches, infinite power over against every foe. He goes on to list uh, that we are free from the world, the flesh, and the devil in this new life in Christ. There's grace and faith. There's a life of good works laid out for us. We're reconciled with God. We're reconciled with others. We're recipients of a love that is infinite. It is meant to come in and fill in every aspect of our lives. To come in and fill every nook and cranny. Every part of our lives. Every room in the the house that's our soul is to, to experience the presence and the love of God in a way that transforms us and fills us with all the fullness of God. That's wonderful. That's what Paul's been talking about in those chapters. And all this, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 to 6, 9, are background to this section. And Paul's finally here is saying, okay guys, all that stuff we've talked about, I want to talk about a way to live it out. I want to talk about what it looks like to live in light of the blessings and live in light of the new lifestyle in Christ, in the world, in a real way. His finally is meant to catch our attention and to understand that this paragraph is now a summation of what he's been saying. Have you ever imagined uh, spending some time with... uh, one of your living heroes, maybe a sports hero, hero of the faith, maybe someone that you admire in the workplace, whatever it might be, and, and, and you ever think about that? Maybe we can just pick one um, for the purpose of my illustration. Let's just say that you got time to spend with Billy Graham at his house uh, in, in North Carolina. Uh, you got to spend a, a morning over coffee with Billy Graham. And in your time, you, you talk with him, you talk casually, about things, and then you just started asking him questions. You're asking this man questions. This man who has counseled presidents. He's traveled the world proclaiming Christ. Spoken to over 2 billion people about the Gospel. Uh, led it, about 3 million people to faith in Christ. And you're sitting there talking with him. And just imagine the stories you'd hear. And the things you'd want to ask him. And, but just imagine that your time is drawing to a close. You know, it's almost time to go. You've, been just, you've just been enjoying the time. You've been amazed at the time. And, and, and right before you're going to finish up, you're, you're just about to get up and, and leave. Billy Graham says, lifts his finger up and says, finally, one more thing. What would you do if he did that? I think you'd grow silent. You'd lean forward in your chair, you'd be intent. Your ears would be forward and, you, and you'd, be, you'd be waiting to hear what He had to say. What is this thing that He's going to say? 
Well, that's what Paul is doing in this paragraph. He's been talking about all these wonders, the, all these blessings that we have, this incredible new life that we have, and how we live it out. And now in this final paragraph, he's saying, finally, one more thing. One more important thing. He wants us to pay attention here and understand that, that there is a call to action. There's an understanding and an action here in light of all that he has said so far. Way more incredible than anything Billy Graham would ever say. So let's listen as we begin this series on this paragraph to what God would say through Paul to us. The first verse in the finally is simply this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. I'm just so glad that he starts out this way. I'm so glad that before he gets into the rest that's here and all the things we want to learn, he, he, wants us to focus on, he wants us to focus on the strength of the Lord. To be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We need to hear that before we get into this topic. We need to hear this, that we have strength in the Lord. That He's mighty. And that we are to be strong in Him. The Ephesians needed to hear it. They lived in a place where there was a lot of darkness. God had done amazing things in Ephesus. This was a large city. It was one of the largest in the Roman Empire. Kind of an ancient equivalent of New York City size for them. And God had won many to Christ, but it was a dark place. It was, uh, it was a tourist spot. And, and it had one of the seven wonders of the world. The great temple to Artemis was there. And so people would come to this place to, to worship. And, and there was all this occult stuff around the temple and, and in the area as well. There was a lot of darkness. And there was a lot of a lot of engagement with evil spirits actually. And, and the Ephesians in their culture lived in fear of evil. They lived in fear of dark forces. And, and, and from what we know of the history, some of the archaeology has uncovered that, that they were really into this whole idea of incantations and special prayers. And they thought basically if we can have the right incantation, the right sort of prayer, if we can name the right sort of powerful deity, somehow in our prayers and in what we do, we can somehow protect ourselves from evil forces. That's, that's kind of the background. That's what the spiritual atmosphere was like. A lot of darkness, a lot of occult, and a lot of fear. And God came to this city with the good news and started rescuing people. But it's interesting to note that, that people actually had come to Christ and still were dabbling in some of these things. Still were dabbling in some of the incantations and the occult. Probably out of habit part for some of them and out of fear and certainly in disobedience to the ways of the Lord. We can read actually in Acts chapter 19 about it. Uh, there's a, uh, an account there of an exorcism that goes wrong. And I'll just read. I think we have it to project. It says, uh, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So this is in Ephesus. As it recorded in Acts 19. Saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came 
confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That's $10 million. So the Word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. These guys lived in a city that had darkness and, and thank God for His work through this that, that the Christians realized we can't have our feet in both worlds. We need to run to Him and find our refuge in the Lord. They, they were aware of the darkness. They knew that they needed God. They needed God's strength. And guys, the, the reality is that hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. We can read this and think, well, that's you know, way back then. That's, that's back when those things were going on and the Gospel hadn't had its way and you know, they weren't as civilized or whatever we might think. Well, all I have to say is just look at the civilized world's conduct in the 20th century and going into the 21st century. I don't think evil has gone away. Some of the worst evil that humanity has seen took place has taken place recently in Western culture. And the 21st century doesn't necessarily hold much promise to be better. We live in spiritual darkness, guys. There's darkness around us. No, it's not as dark as it could be, but there's darkness. We live in a world that is largely manipulated, even controlled by the evil one. Let me just share some verses that talk about this. Early on in Ephesians, it talks about this. It talks about our former manner of life. And in talking about it, it says this, "...and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience." So this shows the, the three enemies working together. It's the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the the enemy, and now the sons of disobedience. That's our inward sinfulness and sinful man working together. The world controlled by these. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 talks about Satan being the god of this world that's blinded the minds of unbelievers. And 1 John 5, uh, John says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We don't live in a world free of the evil one. We live in a world controlled, particularly through lost humanity, controlled by the evil one. Now, there's another part to the story. All authority in heaven and earth has been given Jesus. God is glorious and mighty above all things. And in Him, we have victory indeed. And He reigns and rules. But the enemy is allowed to still work controlling lost and broken humanity. Working through sinfulness. Working through the cultures. The lostness in the cultures of the world. This is the reality. This is where we live. And it's important to understand that we live on territory that until very recently was occupied by the enemy. And the enemy is around us. The, the evil one, the devil, is around us. He is at work with His minions. We don't live in some millennial utopia here. We live in a world in large part manipulated, controlled by Satan and his forces. Don't make that mistake. 
That's important. That's important background to the encouragement. That's why this encouragement is here. That's why we need to know that we can be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Because we live in this reality. All of us. I, um, I love uh, World War II stories and stuff. And one of my favorite is, is the story, I've probably shared this many times, the E Company of uh, the 101st Airborne Division, 2nd Battalion, 506th Regiment. Uh, Easy Company. Band of Brothers, if you've heard about it. It's a great story. These guys were heroes and served throughout the war. Uh, the company was about 140 men of, of that company. They just were involved in all sorts of things. Took high losses. 49 were killed uh, in the company and, and many, many more were wounded. They, were, they served heroically. One of the uh, greatest parts of the war and, and really the most heroic parts was the Battle of the Bulge at Baston, if you know the story. They were surrounded by um, overwhelming odds, 5-1 to one odds, and they held Baston, and it was a key part of keeping the, the Nazis from taking back the victories that the Allies had won. An, an amazing point in the war. Um, great story. But can you imagine, as the as Easy Company was holding the foxholes and ready to fight these divisions, actually they were SS Panzer divisions that were against them. So these are elite uh, German divisions that are fighting them. Could you imagine that in the middle of that, they just decided it's Christmas time, that they were just going to have a little Christmas festival together. And they just decided, let's just kind of, you know, it's, let's have a festival. And they took their helmets off, got out of their foxholes, and, and went out in the, the battlefield, the snow covered battlefield, and started building snow forts and snowmen. And, you know, and, and maybe got some cross-country skis and we're just going to ski around and stuff. And, you know, it's, let's just have a snow fest in the middle of all this. What would have happened to them? I don't think the, the SS Panzer soldiers would have, you know, joined in. They would have been wiped out. They didn't do that. It's a ridiculous story uh, because they knew they were in a battlefield. But sometimes for us as Christians, we can forget and we can treat life this way and we can think it's, you know, it's just about having it easy and just taking it easy. And let's just forget about this battle. Let's forget about the reality. And we endanger ourselves by doing that. Now, I don't want us to misunderstand this. We have victory in the Lord. He gives us peace. He meets us in a real way. But it's not outside the battle. It's despite the battle. And we must live in the reality that we're at war. We're in a battle, and we need the truth of this verse that we can be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. I love the statement, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Actually, you can translate it a little different. The word be strong there um, is a command, but it's uh, what's called a, technically it's a passive command. Uh, so it isn't so much something you do. It's something you experience. But you're commanded to experience it. Isn't that interesting? Not only we think like, you know, you know, put away the dishes. Like, you know that. You know, do it. You don't say, you know, have the, have the dishes put away. You know, we don't use that way to command. It's kind of weird to use a passive in a command. But, but, but this is important here. There, there's a reason why it's passive and commanded. Maybe a, a picture word, picture, metaphor would help. Imagine that you're a new swimmer. And uh, you're take, I used to teach swimming lessons, so I'm, I'm giving you swimming lessons and trying to teach you to swim. And part of the lessons uh, include learning how to float. 
and you're trying to float, and you can't. And you're trying everything, you're waving your arms and legs, and you just keep on sinking. Um, and, and as I teach you how to float, I say what, what you need to do is you need to take a big breath and hold that breath. And so you do. And then you find all of a sudden you can float. Now, why could you all of a sudden float? Is it because you just like worked harder with your arms or your legs? Or you just, you know, you believed, you know, mind over matter, I'm just going to believe I can float until I do. Why did you start floating? You took in air. Did you create the air? No. You just took it in. You received the air. And the strength to float was not in yourself. It was in the air you took in. And you took it in and then you could float. Well, that's what Paul's saying here when he says be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. He's saying take in His might. Receive His might. Live in His might. It's His might, not yours. It's a receiving of His might. It's a living in His might. And it's finding strength in Him. Breathing in the might of the Lord so that you can float. So that you can experience victory in this battle that you're facing. And Paul's been talking a lot about the might of the Lord in Ephesians. He's been filling this out. It isn't just an abstract idea. It's, he's, he's filling out the theology of it, the, the reality of it in the rest of, of Ephesians. Over and over again, he's been reminding them of these things. And, and they're just different verses. One verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 to 23, he talks about this. And he prays for them that they would know the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. The same sort of words. That He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. That's Ephesians 1, 19. We have that to project, Ethan, if you could. He's talking in there about the might that we have. It's the same might that's connected to Jesus. That raised Jesus from the dead. Victorious over sin and death and over every name that is named. All these names that these Ephesians are trying to somehow manipulate through their incantations and prayers. Jesus reigns over all of them. He is Lord and over all of them. His name is greater. He has more authority. His glory is greater. They're nothing before Him. And, and Jesus in all His authority, in all His glory, in all His might is our King. We belong to Him. So His authority is our authority. His power is our power. His conquering of sin and death is our victory. Our conquering. That's the might that we have. So we breathe this in. We breathe His resurrection victory. His power. His authority in. It's in us as His people. We're not weak and frail in Him. In and of ourselves indeed, we cannot float. But breathing Him in, being strong in the strength of His might, we have all of His authority dwelling in us. Ephesians 2 tells us that He's raised us up and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. He's made us alive together. By grace you've been saved. This is what we have in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 talks about the love of God. As I mentioned, filling us up. The fullness of God. 
We're to be full with the fullness of God, the love of God. He has loved us with an infinite love. We're to know the, the dimensions of His love. How high and long and high and deep is His infinite love. Is, is His love for us. He loves us and He wants to live in, in every aspect of who we are. He wants to dwell in us in power and in might. Every aspect of our lives. There's not to be a single dark space in our soul where He doesn't invade and rule and reign over. That's how we be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. We live in what we have and we invite Him to come and rule and reign over everything. Every thought. Every desire. Every temptation. Every aspect. Every feeling. Everything. Lord, come and fill me with Your rule and reign and Your love. This is the might that we have. This is what we have. The strength of His might in these ways. And more. And this is what we're to know. This is what we're to be encouraged by in the Lord. This is what we breathe in. And this is what the Lord wants you to breathe in. He wants you to live in it. He wants you to have access to it. He wants you to employ it. It doesn't come from you. But you are the one that's to choose to be strengthened. To receive it. To live in it. To dwell on it. To depend on it. And we're going to see later on we can actually choose not to. We're, what's going on in this chapter, we're being called to choose these things that are ours in Christ. So conceivably, to some degree as a Christian, I don't think to an ultimate degree we uh, can refuse, but to some degree we can refuse to take advantage of the strength and might of the Lord. And go ahead and try to fight our battles on our own. And, and that's dangerous and foolish. In the story of uh, Prince Caspian in the Chronicles of Narnia, if you know the storyline, the, the, the Pevensies, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy come back. They, are, uh, they were there previously. They were kings and queens over Narnia. and They ruled and reigned. and It was a wonderful story in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the original one. And then they go back and they're kids again. Uh, and it's a year later in Earth time in the story by C.S. Lewis. They're at a train station. All of a sudden, they're whisked back to Narnia. And a thousand years or so have gone by in Narnia. And they find themselves at these uh, ruins, these ruins of a castle. And the way the story goes, they, they eventually figure out this is our original castle a thousand years ago. And they start exploring around and they find uh, this treasure vault, this armory. Uh, and in that armory are weapons. There are these magical weapons that they had previously. Peter's sword and shield and Susan's bow and arrows. Lucy's bottle of magical cordial and dagger are found there. And there's actually a lot of other stuff. And as you read through the story, if you know the story, you know what's coming up. That there's going to be this great battle. And, and there's a sense. So they grab that stuff. But there's a sense like, as you read it, it's like, guys, take it all. All the weapons there. Take them. Take them all. Those suits of armor. All that stuff. Take everything that's there because I know what's coming and you're going to need it. That's what this passage is about. Paul knows what's coming for the Ephesians. God knows what's coming for us. He wants us to take in His might and strength. To take in His power. To take advantage of all that He's given us. All that He's supplied to us for our strength, for our victory in this battle. 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. If the band could come up as we close. I just want us to think about this and this passage and maybe think of it in terms of this. What sort of warrior am I? We're all called to the battle. Men or women, adults, children, all of us, young, old, we're all in the battle. We're all called to be warriors in Him, in the strength of His might. But what sort of warrior am I? Are you a frazzled warrior maybe? You're tired of fighting. You're just tired of it. I've heard Christians say, and it's just too hard. It's just too hard. And they want to give up. And I would say that perhaps what's going on in your life is you're, you've been fighting, but you're probably fighting not in the strength of His might, but in the strength of your might. You're not taking advantage of His might. And probably you're not living in His amazing grace because Ephesians is talking a lot about grace. You are forgiven. Your failures are covered by His blood and His righteous life. In Him, through faith in Him, you are accepted. You are loved. You are safe and secure in Him. Your performance on the battlefield doesn't determine how much He loves you. Whether you fail or not, you are secure in Him. You belong to Him. And you're to live in grace, not performance. And that is the strength of the Lord. That's the the power of His might in your life. Grace and understanding and living in it. And perhaps if you're a frazzled warrior, you're not living in that reality and you're measuring your life by how successful you are against this evil or this sin or this pattern or this failure. And He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to live in the strength of His might, in grace, in forgiveness. You're safe in Him. That gives you strength, frazzled warrior, to get back up in the strength of His might and continue. Maybe you're a reluctant warrior. You're just thinking, I don't want to go there. I don't want to get involved in this thing. Maybe your life's pretty good. Pretty peaceful. Just by God's grace, you're whatever it is. You don't have many battles around you. But he might be calling you to battle. He actually is calling you, if you're a believer, to battle with others side by side, which means helping them. Maybe you're reluctant, worried. I don't want to go there. But you have a victorious commander who's been through hell and back, risen from the grave, reigning victorious. He's there with you, and he will use you to do beyond what you could imagine. He will use you in others' lives. He has given you everything to be successful. You needn't be reluctant. His power is sufficient for you. Maybe, maybe you're a compromised warrior. A little different than the others. You've given in. You've been wounded. You've given ground to the enemy in your life. You're habitually giving yourself to the enemies of God. Might just be sinful inclinations, your brokenness. You're just you're tired of doing other ways and you just want to go that way. Maybe you're so deep into things, even the enemies at work. And when we get deep into things, the ability of the enemy to come in and leverage those things and manipulate our lives grows. Maybe you're a compromised warrior. And I just want to tell you. 
all the power you need to get free is available to you. It's all there in Jesus. He is more than able to give you power to overcome the things that you think that you cannot overcome. He can overcome, and He has overcome, sin. Your sin is nothing for Him. He has grace for you. He has overcome the evil one. There's authority in Him over the evil one. And there's authority in His people to exercise that authority to deal with the evil one in your life if you are struggling. And there's power in the Holy Spirit and in the truth of God to overcome the the influence of the world and its ways. You have everything. But you have to determine, are you going to get help? We're here as a church. As fellow warriors, and to some degree for all of us, at least at certain times, we are compromised warriors too. We are here to walk together to help each other to overcome. You will find in this place, by God's grace, the ability to overcome the things that have wounded you and captured you. You don't need to be a compromised warrior. You can be a victorious warrior. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Let's pray.